Would you care to step outside? Warning, PC and RMD contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Awesome. Oh, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to DC and RMD Star Girl Edition. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search DC on RMD, the Star Girl Edition. Or if you want access to our DC related content, all of our DC related content, search for our main feed by simply typing in DC on RMD. Our preferred place for you to listen is iTunes. Because we need ratings and reviews, so please be sure to give us a five-star rating as it does trigger algorithms that allow our show to be seen by more people. Okay, so we are back for episode seven of Stargirl, titled Summer School, Chapter 7. Hello, Bob. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? Great. Okay, so we are behind. I feel like we need to tell people this. We are behind in episodes by quite a bit. In fact, I think this week the week that we what, were recording is the finale is the season finale yeah whatever so we have fallen behind which is look if you're watching on netflix because it's already on netflix thank you or listening <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's gonna happen when uh, usually we're not this far behind but because coronavirus hit uh it pushed all of the shows we cover to be released uh, right around the exact same time and because of that we have we have nine shows right now that we're covering, and that's in addition on this network. We have comedy podcasts. We have random topical discussion podcasts for other hosts, and I handle all of the post-production. So, so it's your fault. It is my fault <laughs> because I'm, we're basically un, undermanned. Yeah. Well, look, what did you tell me this week? I forgot. I, I didn't know how hard and how long you've been going in the, the non-sexual way because <laughs> I've been nonstop since January. Yeah. That was your busy time. My busy time is, is, has been since when did the new season start? July, August, something like it's that. It's been fucking crazy. And I don't mind the recording schedule. The recording schedule is just fine. It is the show prep for certain shows and the post-production putting the shows out. That's where I get bogged down. Oh, so yeah. it's a lot of work. No, I, I, you don't have to explain it to me. So I do apologize. However, um, I do appreciate the tweets. So don't think I get annoyed when I see a, going to the main Rain Man Digital Twitter account or the DC and RMD Twitter account and asking me where the shows are at because at least it lets me know that people actually care yeah. about this show. Yeah, yeah, you know. Thank you, Thomas Cowley, for tweeting out. Ghost. All right, so let's talk about this episode. There's a lot to this episode. Number one, the focus of the plot had mostly to do with advancing Yolanda's story and fleshing out a few key aspects that will no doubt be vital later in the season. And in order to do this, the writers use some very moody scene setting. Uh, the imagery in this episode specifically was very impactful, very strong, and were all designed around Christian symbolism and demonic influence. In fact, they did such a great job, Bob, that you sent me a text message saying, be sure to include blank, 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 because you liked what they did in the ways of horror. 
Well, yeah. Well, we've talked so much over the seasons about, you know, the, the difference between DC Universe, a.k.a. HBO Max, and yeah. CW being in charge. And that the fact was that the special effects were lackluster over this season, uh, especially the last couple episodes. Yeah. And me being kind of a nerdy film guy in a different type of way than you, you know, more of a fan side of it. Um, I recognize things that have been done since the early times of horror films like mm-hmm. Hitchcock and thrillers with different light flashes and the use of what I only assume to be chocolate syrup on the ground to, draw your eye to it to go, Oh shit, something's going on because the drips are there. The simple things that still work after, you know, almost a hundred years at this point. It, it, it's weird. Well, it makes you wonder if an episode like this came around at this time because of budgetary restraints. Now, like you mentioned, we have had some issues with some of the CGI this season because it's, operating on a CW budget, and that's to be expected. We were hoping it wouldn't, but it did happen. And I'm wondering an episode like this that was so closed, it was such a a very nuanced look at one character specifically. It was void of a lot of CGI, and they used those classic filmic conventions uh, that you mentioned, the the Hitchcockian film conventions, those film gags is what they're called at times, that really helped push the horror vibe forward. Um, the use of practical lighting. And when I say practical lighting, I'm not talking about the photographic sense, but in a mood sense and the simplicities, as you mentioned, like simply turning a light uh, off, and off, off and on and syncing it with your editing to give the viewer a sense of this like jolting, pending threat that is coming at our character or at the viewer themselves. And a part of me wonders when we get an episode this exceptional when it comes to uh, film conventions, is it because of budgetary restraints? Are they forced to work harder because they can't cheat by is utilizing? It, is it harder though? Like mm, it's harder to think. It's times. harder to think. Do you get what I'm saying? I feel like a lot of filmmakers in this modern age of shitty CGI, they have grown comfortable with simply saying, well, let's do it in post. Let's let's. And I, and honestly, I hate that. I like, this is going to throw back to something long ass time ago. I could remember when the rocks first film was Scorpion gang. Oh, and then they turned this monster of a man into a CGI character. And you're just like, yo, Indiana Jones has been doing this shit for fucking 20, 25, 30 years at this point. And it still holds up and it still holds up. What are you doing? <laughs> With this rock drawing of this monster of a man. Yeah. It, it like shit like that never makes sense to me. It's like, let's do it in post. It's just like, you're just hoping. I mean, look even at the new Ninja Turtles compared to the, the, the 1990 Ninja Turtles where, you know, the, the new Ninja Turtles were done CGI and it looked like shit. And the other ones were done by uh, Jim Henson's Muppets. And you're like, wow, that still holds up. Yeah, okay, I can see the dude through a mouth in one scene. I can get over it because it's a talking fucking turtle. And the reason why is because technology changes every day. So when you're relying fully on just CGI, the technology of the day, it's going to age. 
and usually doesn't age well. And that's why when you bring up examples like the classic Ninja Turtle film that still holds up in the way of, of effects, at least how the turtles look. Sure, the story is a little naive and simplistic, but that's also a sign of the times, you know, the early 90s. But you, you're absolutely right, because the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle CGI film that came out a few years back, that thing is already dated. Yeah. And in another five years, it's going to look horrendous and it won't have any rewatchability. Meanwhile, the classic Turtles film is still being rewatched, you know, millions of times over across the globe. Well, yeah, it, and you're right. Uh, like, I think the only movie that still holds up to me CGI wise that was heavy, The Matrix. Yeah. Well, they revolutionized uh, but so I, much. But that's what it takes. Yeah. You're, <laughs> I mean, innovation. In, in, innovation is the key. And unless you're going to be innovative on a McDonald's budget, <laughs> like you're not going to get a gourmet meal. Yeah. And there are different examples of shows that do different things. They have to, they have to make choices. Look at legends of tomorrow. Legends of tomorrow has chosen to deal with some of their budgetary issues by simply just not using superhero type costuming. You know, look at the Adam over the last two or three years that he was on that show. Yeah. I mean, did he, how often did he actually get into the suit? He never shrunk. <laughs> yeah, and same thing with um, Steel. Yeah. He, not, he, not Steel. Yeah. Yeah, Steel. Yeah. Yeah, same thing. So you got to get creative, and, and that's exactly what this episode represents. It represents the writers all getting together saying, okay, how are we going to make this work? We just blew all of our budget on the previous episode so this episode's got to be a little smaller a little more a little more nuanced that type of effort is the reason why we get good episodes and good work is because they are putting their brains together and and solving problems creatively they're forced to use their talent opposed to just relying on big dick syndrome mm-hmm. just lay back i don't got to do anything got a big dick and that's what cgi amounts to many times so Getting back to the some of the more thematic elements as well that this episode utilized, I mean, the, the imagery, as I was mentioning a few moments ago in this episode, was all designed around Christian symbolism and demonic influence. It helped pose questions of a more uh, natural like aspect in terms of morality and ethics uh, and using Puritan ideology to sow seeds of Christian guilt, all of which was strengthened by the chosen settings and posing those questions. Do we do bad things because we are inherently flawed or evil, or do we do them because of outside factors, AKA influence, which was definitely a major theme with this episode uh, because of course, Eclipso. Yeah. So uh, did this hit close to home for you and <laughs> your heritage? Using those, um, I mean, those Latina, Wait, no, Latinx? Latinx. Yeah, we're not saying that. It's not like the fucking Mexican uh, X Games. It's not Latinx. It's not a Mexican Mexican X-Men? No, no. Latinx? Yeah, Latinx, um, where they all have different Cholula powers. Burrito Uh, powers? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I did laugh at those uh, Mexican uh, Latin American tropes. Uh, Yes. Or stereotypes. Yeah. Everybody, you can call them stereotypes, but if you grew up in a Mexican family, you're like, oh, that's, no, that's it. Like, everything about that was true as a white boy who grew up Mexican. Um, I I was just laughing my ass off at the the whole guilt and 
you know, going to confessional and then hoping your mom doesn't find out. But little, you know, the priest and your mom are best friends. It's like, I didn't tell her anything was wrong, but you know, uh, I feel bad for her, the character, because I mean, imagine having a family like that, that puts that type of guilt on you to, to make matters worse. Sure. You have the, you have the, the religious aspects, you know, that are also that you're, I should say your upbringing. That's all already, you know, creating that issue of guilt, but then your family doesn't make it any easier. And the fact that the mother doesn't even stop for a second to show any support. No. She, in fact, she gets mad for Yolanda bringing in the priest into her problems. Like that is what priests are for. Literally. No, but that, that, that is a Mexican mother right there. It really is. Also when it comes to family and privacy, like they view priests as very special and you don't bother them with things. They don't want to look a certain way, even though you have those confessionals, they are very protective with their image. No, it, yes. It's it, the conservative culture. Exactly. If you have something to say, you go say it to the shrine in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there are some very dense thematics and topics that I didn't expect from this show. I, the show has been written really well, but I want to say this might be one of the deepest episodes to date, just in terms of, you know, dissecting a character and taking a look at what guilt does to someone. Cause that this is one giant metaphor for guilt. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. And the way they were able to bring that idea into the episode and make it work uh, director Sheelan Choksi, I believe is how you say her name, and writer Rebby, Robbie Hine, they showed an incredible amount of synergy to make sure the meaning of the episode remained intact, which isn't always an easy task when you have a script literally doused in metaphor. And of course, it's all worked incredibly well when you take into account who the villain of the season is, of course, being Eclipso. The former angel of vengeance, or in the context of the series, a demonic influence. Okay, so we we the demonic influence. Is it weird now that they're not bringing it in, even though that they're focused now on like the church side of this? I think it was there, without I, say, like just saying it. Yeah, I think I think all of it was there. Okay, because I have that question for you, Bob. Uh-huh. Okay, we're gonna get there. So, for example. Because I thought that too. I said, well, why don't they just use Eclipso for all of this? But in order to create this existential or surrealistic threat that's just out of reach, I feel like they're doing things subconsciously with this episode. For example, they have led us to believe in this episode that her entire problem is not Eclipso. It is brainwave. Brainwave it, with his last dying breath, managed to take his his consciousness and infiltrate Yolanda. And I feel like they're subverting subversion. So they subverted us in this episode like, oh shit, it's not Eclipso this whole time. Whereas we had assumed that the reason why she's going through these problems is because of some type of influence, a, a draw that she may have because of murdering Brainwave. It makes her susceptible uh, for attack by way of Eclipso's influence. And then in this episode, they subverted that by telling us that Brainwave is the one who's been doing this. But I almost feel like it's subversion of subversion. <laughs> it's inception because I, I think they're fucking with us because look at how the episode was bookended. 
the episode started with that little boy. Oh, fuck that kid. I know. For real. And that laugh. <laughs> God damn. That laugh he does is so fucking scary. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't need him in the episodes anymore. I'm the good. way he looks, that blank stare with no emotion is just... And 20 years from now, to be like, remember the good kid from Stargirl? And he'll be like in porn or something. Or meth addict, like poor Jake Lloyd from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So look how they bookended the episode. They started it with the boy and they ended it with the boy. He destroyed Yolanda, broke her down psychologically to make her hate herself, to make her feel the guilt and the pain for what she has done. And then he has moved on because what did he get out of it? He is trying to tear the JSA apart for whatever reason, because after she decides to quit, where does he pop up? What does he pop up next at the end of the episode in front of Beth's house giggling? So I don't think it's brainwave. I think Eclipso is making himself appear as brainwave to fuck with her. If it, that makes any sense. No, it is just going to manifest whatever your deepest, darkest fear is, which is, last season, it just would have been nude photos of her running around. <laughs> Speaking of nude photos, I was laughing my ass off when he's like, Hey, can you send me a photo? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude, homeboy comes back from the dead and that's how thirsty he is. He's all like, Hey, listen, I've been in hell this whole time. Can <laughs> yeah, you just- you'll burn in hell with me. Can I see them titties? <laughs> yeah. I'll forgive. All is forgiven. If you let me see one more boob shot. Ain't no boobs in hell. It hurts down here. Oh, man. Yeah, I laughed. Uh, you know, even though we were supposed to be afraid and it was, it was, it did create a mood, but I did laugh. I'm like, that is fucking hilarious. The dude just asked for another photo and she got up like it was like, okay, like, okay, sure. Let me see. I mean, yeah. if you're dead, yeah. I mean, you've already seen them. <laughs> so yeah, it, Eclipso, you know, using her guilt against her. It is very consistent with what we've seen of Eclipso so far in this show. So it does make sense and it works. But I love that they put this type of deep thought into subverting expectation because honestly, it can go either direction. It can be brainwave. And you know what? I would be okay with that. It can be Eclipso and I would be okay with that. And the reason why is because Yolanda is such a complicated character that they have fleshed out very well over the course of I don't know, maybe 20 some episodes at this point. And that's why there's enough there that they can do all of this. So either way it works with the story. It doesn't really matter what it may end up being. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you're not going to be mad one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, and it's also a cool way because I think if we remember when we talked about casting news, we're like, these people aren't dead for sure because they're back for season two, basically as fucking zombies, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just also poetic. You know, she's haunted by the person she killed, you know? So it, it works. Um, uh, we already talked about subversion of expectations. Uh, the clues that were there, the child that zeroed in on her at the diner. Is there a point to the mean guy at the diner. Do you, have you managed to interpret that in any way? Or is it just simply a way to add to Yolanda's stress? I think it's the stress level of it all. I I don't, I don't see it as anything else. Okay. Were you looking deeper into it? I, I feel like when you continue to bring something in, 
there's got to be a reason for it. However, if it is simply to add to this incessant tapping, if you will, you know, like if you tap someone in the forehead long enough, it's just going to flip them the fuck out. Yeah, well, And if they're doing that by creating this in this episode, just a consistent irritant, something that's just below the skin that's bothering Yolanda and she can't quite grasp it. And if that's just part of that, then it's also then that's a job well done. What it's going to end up doing, it's going to create a scene at some point when, you know. Biff gets the fucking manure dumped on his truck. Or, you, you know what I mean? Like, the, like think of like those '80s tropes of the annoying dude that finally gets taken over, like by something, or gets you know the Ghostbusters and gets the marshmallows dropped on him. The 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 Larry Peck dude or Henry Peck, you know the yes, this man has no pecker guy. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you fucking hate him, but he's not doing anything wrong. And then at the end, when Stave Puff gets blown up, he gets fucking marshmallowed. And you're just like, yay, asshole got marshmallowed. Yeah. So you just think it's it's uh, reminding us and keeping us yeah, so on when, standby. When something funny happens to him or weird happens to him, you're just like, that asshole deserved it. Which helps with the continuity of a season when they create something early on opposed to just a single funny moment or dramatic moment that may not work. Yeah. Something it's going to lead to something eventually. And that may be an example of what we've been talking about all season long when it comes to the show that it's completely mapped out and planned out. Like it's no, Hey, episode to episode. We don't really know what's going to happen by the finale or an episode where let's say we're in episode three and we don't know what's going to happen in episode six or seven. You know, having that type of reoccurring motif, if you will, in the way of a character could actually be an example of the show just being fully mapped out before they even step one foot on set. Yeah. Okay, so the child has turned his attention to Beth, or I should say Eclipso. What could he possibly put on her? Do you think it's going to be the parents? Do you think he's going to have the parents do some awful things? Do you think it's on Beth or do you think it's on somebody else in the house? Oh, I didn't think about that. Perhaps the father or the mother. The father seems to have more screen time this season. So uh, maybe the father. I don't know. Well, you got to think the, the they both have something to hide that still hasn't been explained to Beth. That's right. Did, didn't we think they were villains last year at the beginning? Didn't we think they were members of the ISA? Yeah. Or is that just me? I think that was just you. Oh. Because it didn't even occur to me until this season that they weren't. I was like, oh, I, I, because they were brought in early on last season and then kind of forgotten as the season progressed. And I had just assumed they were part of the ISA. And then when I saw them this season, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that I thought they were part of the ISA. Obviously, they're not. So they have to do something with them at this point. I feel like. Because what would devastate her more? Like, what does she have that could be horrible that he could use against her? only her family, only her family. And so if he takes over the mom or dad and she wants them to be whole, you know, more than anything. And then the dad's like, fuck you, you cunt. And she's like, oh, my God, we can't ever be together. And it ruins Beth. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. I mean, that would make sense. We do need to do something. So I am an advocate for the parents being the ones that that um, are used for whatever Eclipso's plans uh, entail because we need to do something with them besides 
this. Last year, it was kind of the same. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a negative, but before the end of the season, we've got to have some changes when it comes to her parents. Either they need to shit shit or get off the pot, or they just need to make things work and move the story along when it comes to them. Because it served its purpose last season, creating that isolation for Beth. That's the reason why she joined the JSA. That's why the audience rooted for her, because she was finally a part of something and she was no longer isolated within her own home, being neglected and forgotten. And now this season, I am kind of wondering seven episodes in, what are they doing besides kind of regurgitating that type of problem that Beth has to deal with when it comes to her parents? Yes, it's not the isolation aspect. It has to do with the family being torn apart, but it does need to pay off this season in a big way. Yeah. And I figure if anything, that that's the only way to attack her. Um, because I, I I don't know what else he could use against her. He she doesn't have anything like the others do. So yeah, yeah, that is true. Everyone else seems to be struggling with a lot of personal demons and things that they have done that they regret. Even I mean, Courtney really doesn't. Yeah, but if you go with Courtney, then you have the whole family. The family's still hiding something from her. That's true. We still have Joel McHale that was introduced at the beginning of the year. We don't know what the fuck he's doing. You know, the original star man. Yeah. The the staff is kind of going in and out of flux. Like there's stuff there that I think they could use against her or something. You, You know what I mean? I think they're, they're, there's something there that even the audience doesn't know at this point that can be used. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see that for sure. Okay. So the diamond is still around. I was wondering about that. In fact, I believe I mentioned it last episode that it could be used as a prison still. And it does feel like that's what they're going to do. Pat seems to think that it can be used to capture Eclipso in some way. Now, there's also someone in there, and we had said that it's probably Cindy because that makes sense that he tossed one of the pieces of the diamond. It turned into like a black liquid substance, and then she fell into it, and then it went back into a diamond. So it's easy to assume that, hey, yes, she has fallen into it. and But it does seem like something or someone was trying to get Mike's attention because it started flashing, much like when Eclipso's trying to communicate out into the outside world when he was imprisoned. Obviously the go-to would be Cindy. That's Cindy trying to reach out in some way, but I'm wondering if that's where Dr. Midnight Midnight is at. I mean, I mean, we are still dealing with that aspect. Like where is he? And when we did see him after episode one or episode two, he was walking through this mist and we had assumed it was shade. And this could be the writer subverting our expectations again, because now we think shade has something to do with it, that he's uh, trapped within his power. But then we had that comment last episode from Eclipso to shade when he told him that your power is from the same place that I'm from. Or where I get my power, I believe is what he said. Yeah. So perhaps the reason why it looked so similar to shades power is because Dr. Midnight is actually trapped within a diamond. I don't. You don't think so? No. What do you think? Uh, you think I, it's just simply Cindy? 
I, I simply Cindy at this point. Simply Cindy. Uh, it's a porn. Um, <laughs> it does sound like a porn. it does, or uh, like an '80s sitcom. Yeah, yeah. A spinoff of Who's the Boss, or a spinoff of um, the Brady Bunch. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even better. <laughs> um, I, I still think it's shade and somehow because we, we have the whole evil versus bad thing. Yeah. Still out there. And just because there's no, there's no reason for him not to still have resentment or whatever for the JSA. If it is shade, they're obviously trying to position him position him into an area of likability for the audience. So do you think that for whatever reason, let's say it is shade, do you think the audience will be okay with whatever decision they go with? Because we do like shade, right? I mean, you like shade, correct? Yeah. But at this point, do we want to see him do something as fucking villainous as entrapping some dude for countless years and taking him away from his life and his family. But like I said, the, the quote of the year was, you know, there's something between you know, there's a difference between bad, and, bad evil. and evil. Yeah. And the fact is like, if that was the case, we, I mean, it, it, we still have, am I drawn? I'm drawing a blank. What's his name? Lightning kid. The pen. Yeah. I know we you're we, we about. still don't know where Ethan Embry went. You know, yeah. we still have those characters that are out there. We still, the Green Lantern. we still know that, uh, Jay Garrick's coming back. Yeah. So there has to be a reason for it and it's not going to be Eclipso. Yeah. I don't think everything's connected to Eclipso. I think there are a lot of things that definitely are, but when you again, go back to what Jeff Johns had said uh, in an interview last year about his massive plans, I can't imagine everything hinging on on Eclipso because number one, that's dangerous. When you write a TV show, you don't want that type of thing there. You don't want one element oh, yeah. uh, to be built or to be then when used. Sa- when Savitar sucks, you, uh, yeah. your season's over. A, a great point. That's exactly right. <laughs> so it feels like they are setting up numerous elements so that they, so they can go in multiple directions. Even if say they don't have all of season three completely mapped out in the way of, of writing, they just have an outline. Well, with all these additional elements, if something doesn't quite work out for whatever reason, they have various avenues that they can go and it wouldn't feel like they're just pulling it out of their ass. Yeah. You know, or being, you know, such a a moment of sheer contrived hackiness, which is a, a big problem with not just the DC shows on the CW, but just TV in general today with all the TV that's out there. There's a lot of things that are just so contrived. Oh yeah, that you can tell from yeah. episode one what that the ending is going to be. Yeah, and with a show like this, it is very clear that there are just a lot of moving parts that are pretty seamless with each other. So, Mike, in this episode, we saw him getting his his work duties in his first day on the job as being a member of the JSA, uh, but nothing's really changed. You know, it's his first day as a member of the GSA, but he's kind of doing the same work again. Uh, and I, I got to think it's because Pat just still doesn't want him to be a part of it, which, listen, we said this last episode, would you really want your 13-year-old son being part of some, you know, deadly mystery that has everything to do with one of the most evilest characters that Pat knows of? Yeah, your 13-year-old son who you watched 
uh, already get kidnapped by the, the child's, yeah. the children of, and then yet you watch all your best friends, the most powerful best friends you've ever had get taken out by them. Yeah, Seems exactly. Seems like something I want to send my son into. Yeah, so I do like what they're doing with him, though. I, I think every scene with Mike is interesting because he has... Does he? He has feel great like, comedic timing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't he feel like he is a like 30 year vet of sitcoms? Yeah. He is very good and he doesn't get a lot of attention. And I think it's because he's not the go to heartthrob of the show. You know, like when it comes to the, the Twitter viral tweets, when people talk about certain characters that trend, I should say not viral, that trend. It's always the Luke Perry dude who's pushing 40 or the, um, the dude that sent uh, that court Courtney, Courtney likes. Yeah. I, f- I always forget his name. Uh, Icicle's son. Those are the people that uh, the, the ladies on social media tend to swoon over. And this kid, because he's young, he's kind of just forgotten. And, and yet I honestly think he's probably the best actor of the group in the way of the kids. Yes, by far. Again, it, it's one of those things I'm looking him up now. Um, Dude, I think it was in uh, the middle, like that sitcom on ABC where the kid ended up being like 30. <laughs> like, I really feel like this is how we should probably look up this guy's I, name. I'm looking him up right now. It's Trey Romano is his name. And when was he born? 2005. So he's really young. And wow, he, he was uh, he was in the Farley Brothers remake of The Three Stooges, or that's where his love came from. But he hasn't been in a lot. He only has four acting credits. And this is his biggest thing he's ever been in. Ray Romano came up when I typed this kid's name up. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so he was born in 2005, which, let, okay, so 2015, he would be 10. Is math hard for you? It's 2021. So is he not Six. even, so he's 20? Six. No. 2005, 2021, he's 16. Oh, you're talking about, I, I thought you were looking up Luke Perry, dude. No, no, no. I was no, like, no. wait, what? He's not even 20 years no, old. I was, I was <laughs> That's why I was confused. Like, Let me do the math here. I was like, no, I was looking up Mike Dugan. No, oh, okay. Do you want me to look, oh, here, I'll look up Luke Perry next. Okay, so my, the, 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 the actor kid that is plays, actually 16 and, and he only has four acting credits. Really? Well, this dude, I hope he has a career because if he's this good at 16, who knows what he can end up doing later down the road? Uh, the Cameron Gelman, uh, Luke Perry was born in 1998. So when I graduated high school. Yes. So that makes him what? 23. Yeah. He's man. That's still very young. Well, it's very young to have that hairline. Hey, listen, and I'm not putting him down because he is a good looking dude. He has that whole cool guy swagger. What's that guy from the fifties that died in a car crash? Uh, uh, the that one I'm, you always forget. I, I always forget. His and name. I almost called him Luke Perry right now. God, well, damn it's it. what they all try to vi- that, that vibe. They all try to go for. It's what James Franco did for years uh, until he was just too old to pull it off. The dude from rebel without a cause J- James Dean. Yes. Like it's that James Dean vibe. So he's a good looking dude, but he doesn't look like he's 20. He looks like he's probably late twenties, early thirties. That dude ain't bought like been ID'd for liquor in like three years, four years max. Yeah. In fact, he's buying all the alcohol for everyone on set. I'm sure. Yeah. Mike Dugan's going (laughs) to have a alcohol problem because so stupid. Have you seen them? Uh, Do you, do you have a look at any of their Instagrams? No, they post photos uh, next to each other. I guess the two actors are friends, like good friends, Uh uh, Mike Dugan and uh, Gelman there. Yeah. 
and they look so funny standing next to each other because one looks like a fucking giant and the other looks like a, like a child. Yeah, like they're older brothers. Yeah. Like, older brother, younger brother. Yeah. So keeping with Mike for a second here, I do like the naturalistic aspects concerning taking a life. I, I said this, I don't know when, a few episodes back, maybe even last season, that that was an element that I really liked, uh, that they're not letting go. And the same thing works with the y- Yolanda. These are children, okay? And even adults, if they took someone's life, they would struggle with it. Anyone, doesn't matter what age you are. If you took someone's life, unless you're a fucking sociopath, even if it's not your responsible, even if you weren't responsible, you're going to have some type of issues and guilt for taking someone's life. You have issues and guilt if you watch somebody die. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> right. So the fact that they keep using this as this is a, my therapy session where I start talking. <laughs> Did you uh, kill someone by accident, Bob? Do you want to get that off your chest? Yeah. I, I put the, the pillow over my twin's oh my head God. Oh my. and killed them. I wanted it's to be so the only one. Dark. <laughs> At first I thought you said you were going to, when you said twin, for some reason, I thought you were alluding to the fact that you killed. It was in the, in the womb. <laughs> yes. I held a pillow over a demon child over here in, in the thing and then ate him and consumed him. Okay. I <laughs> want to keep adding more gruesome detail uh, you know it's why i am the way i am oh man you know I, do you have his brain as well because exactly. i know that that's happens what, sometimes with that, parasitic twins that's why i am as smart <laughs> as i smart. am you, you wonder how i can do quick math like 1998 <laughs> to 2021 oh, that explains your high your high level <laughs> intelligence <laughs> your your math was i consumed my twin so If you want your kids to be smart, make sure they eat baby brown. Oh, my God. Put two children inside the womb. And the the winner's the smart one. Yeah. Make sure one of them. Physically dominant and smart for eating other brain. Yeah. Start start the competition uh, early in life. You know, only one can survive the uterus. I don't even know if that's where they come from. Whatever. You don't know if that's where they come from. (laughs) Uh, I, I guess you're going to have to absorb some more brains, uh, you know, <laughs> so you don't worry. Neither of us, we're gonna, <laughs> neither of us, we're going to be doctors. <laughs> Let's just say that. Uh, all right. So the whole issue of guilt, let me bring it back to that. Um, Mike making that comment at the dinner table it was just enough to remind us that that's a big deal. In fact, I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, he just, in fact, again, Bob, we might've mentioned this. The dude killed somebody. He's got to have some type of residual guilt, a sense of responsibility. And obviously he does. And the way they brought it up in this episode, I don't know if it's going to pay off or if they were simply trying to book in the episode with, you know, a similar theme or similar idea. Or do you think possibly this may come back? Is this going to be a thing? Are they reminding us that Icicle's dead because Courtney's getting closer to the sun and the truth might come out? Are they trying to say that this will be used against Mike now via Eclipso? There's several possibilities, correct? Yeah, tons. What do you think it'll be? Just off the top of your head. Uh, I want to, if, if the death thing is just seems like the way to go at this point, yeah. especially with the evil part of it. Uh, like for me being like abandoned or, you know, the fact that they kind of just leave them out, it doesn't mean anything. That's just shit that happens. Yeah. I don't see Eclipso being like, 
They don't like you. And also he seems a little too smart for that. Like he's a little more cynical and grown up. In a lot of ways, Mike is more grown up and jaded than the rest of them. And it almost feels like that's why he said- wouldn't feel he wouldn't be influenced by by Eclipse. It's almost like you or I being trying to be manipulated by Eclipse. So we'd be like, yeah, okay, I know what the fuck you're doing. Uh, yeah. It's not <laughs> nice working. try. Yeah. Go ahead. Are you going to use my mom's death against me next? Oh, please don't. Oh, no. How horrible. Been dead yeah. for fucking 25 years. You're going to use it against me? Go ahead. Let's I mean, go. It's true, though. Can you see Mike really falling for something no. like that? Yeah. It's like, what are they going to say to him? You don't have superpowers. No shit. Either just 99% of the other people in the world. This isn't Heroes, the TV show. Um, <laughs> like, it, yeah. Uh, you don't know lefty, loosey, righty, tidy. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that'd be awful. That'd be so bad. Yeah. But you're right. There's very little they could do to him at this point in, in that aspect because of how they have developed his character. He has kind of a I take no shit type of persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we do have that mystery still. It, last season when Mike told Courtney that you don't know what me and my father have been through. And that's before Mike was even privy to any of the superhero stuff. So there's a lot of other things as that has transpired in their life that could be used or could be used in season three for a totally different aspect of the show. And maybe this is just their way to, to show us something, but we'll see. This show is very well mapped out. So I'm sure a comment like that will have meaning, true meaning very soon. Yeah. Overall, the episode was fairly light with the other characters, but it did work because it helped us focus on Yolanda and what Eclipso was trying to do from from the back end of things and of course that whole the the whole thing worked in the way of the existential and the surrealistic threat that as i was saying feels just out of reach you know and taking that abstract notion of dread and giving it a tangibility i felt is what really made this episode work so i give this episode a 90 percent wow I thought it was smart and that is definitely the highest rating that we've given any episode this season so far. Oh yeah. Uh, I, 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 I back your, all your thoughts. Mm-hmm. 100%. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot an 85 at it. Okay. Um, again, I didn't find anything wrong and I don't like, look, I'm always one of those people on any of my shows if there's no need for your fucking character to be on the show, you don't need to be on the show. Yes. So the fact that it was light on other characters, cool. I don't need you. You know, we don't have to have storyline A through Z in a goddamn Supergirl episode. Yeah. Oh, did I say Supergirl? <laughs> Dude, um, but you're you're right, man. Like shows like Supergirl and The Flash and some of those those older the Arrow did it towards the end. It quit being about that character because, or the main character, because they had 50,000 other characters that they had to get to every single okay. episode. So, like, again, I'm apologizing before what comes out of my mouth. Uh-oh. I'm sorry. Is this what happens when we don't have to worry about a gay agenda, a black agenda? Oh. Uh, <laughs> Go 
no, go ahead. I agree. Like, right? Like, I agree. It, because that's what went wrong with those other shows is they stopped focusing on being superhero shows. And it was because we needed to introduce the next blah, blah, blah when it comes to what is popular amongst the Twitters first on like the social justice thing. And this show has been free of social justice. Doom Patrol, it, we have gay characters. We have all this other stuff, but it's not about social justice. Yeah. It, Titans, same damn thing. Guess what? We have all kinds of different characters, but it's not focused on like character A, like Beth, you know, is now a, a African-American lesbian who's having problems trying to find a girlfriend. Yeah. No, you're right. And I think you're touching on something that absolutely plagues a lot of shows. And for the listeners out there who may not listen to everything we do, we we are a progressive bunch. We're not against any of those aspects, but you need to pick your lane. That's the problem. If let's say you may, I think this would be a terrible idea, but let's say the flash decided to make a show where the, the lead character, the flash is gay and you delve into a lot of gay aspects, you know, the gay experience, how it, uh, you know, possibly uh, reflects differently when, uh, you combined that type of identity with a superhero. If that's what your show's about, it's fine. Then that's fine because you picked your lane and you're not getting distracted. Like but when, when Bla- you- like when Black Lightning started, and and, yeah. and he was about like the black experience and being a superhero that was different for his people and trying to fix the urban yes. lifestyle. Yes, it, it was freaking well done. It wasn't forced into some other show. And, and then when it became about checking boxes it went bad it it fell apart like every other show and that's what the problem is with those other shows it's no longer picking your lane what they're doing is ticking uh boxes off checking boxes off on a list okay gay trans anti-gun black women all right, let's throw all that into one drugs, fucking episode. Drugs, alcohol, police brutality, police brutality. It's, like it's, it's like a lot of these these writers just graduated, you know, from college and they just discovered, you know, liberal politics, and they just want to express their knowledge and how and how uh, clever they are to put it into their shows. That's the problem because you you mentioned Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol is a show that is focused on PTSD and trauma. That's what the show is about. Everything else is only included to help with that message. So a character being gay, it isn't about him being gay. It's about how his gayness helps hold the mirror to his PTSD and the trauma that he deals with. It's not about being gay. It's about trauma and PTSD. And they bring relatable aspects into the show that help ground the show in a type of reality that people then can connect to. But they're not ticking a box and say, oh, gay, trans, blah, 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 blah. And that's what happens to all these shows. And bringing it back to Stargirl here, this is an example of what you do. You pick your lane. And when certain characters are not needed, then they go on the back burner until they're needed. He's eating cereal at home. Cool. Characters aren't must elements. They are tools. And when you don't need the tool, if you need a hammer, are you going to be holding a drill? If you're building a house, you can use the ass end of the drill to (laughs) hammer anything. But you understand my point. Yes, I got you. You know, like you, 
you you're only going to hold the tool that you need at that time. You're not just going to put a bunch of random things in your hands because you look cool. Uh, yeah. Well, so I'm sorry for pushing us in that direction. It was no, just, it, uh, it, it, it's, dude, a, it's a good point. It's an absolutely, absolutely a good point. And it needs to be said because I know writers and producers have listened to our shows and do in fact, listen to our, some of our shows and perhaps they'll be like, yeah, you're right. Let me pick a lane. And it's coming right at you for insulting me. Yeah, whatever. Fuck off. <laughs> All right. So that does bring us to the end of our discussion. I do want to remind people to head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital. We need help in order for us to be here year after year. We do need people to subscribe to our Patreon, even if you just put down a dollar or if you want to pay $10 and be done for the year um, because you get two months free when you pay for a year up front. Uh, You'll get additional content. If you want to subscribe to our podcast here, that's $5 a month and you will gain access to all of our additional podcast episodes ranging from DC content to Star Trek content, all types of different areas of geekdom that we explore. So patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Who are you, bitches? Mother of God! Would you look at the time when you came here? You had an hour! 